going again too, right after service. Some of you uh, have not even met Sarah. Sarah and I have been talking about this for the last few months. It's, you know, one of the interesting, you know, just how things happen when her first Sunday was here. It was March 1st. She was here March 8th, and then March 15th was when everything was shut down. And so since that time, it's been like between then and August, you know, where she hasn't been able to meet people and see people. And so that's cool. She's looking forward to getting to know all of our youth and parents. Uh, it's uh, pretty exciting stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty, pretty stoked about that. We're in this stage in life as parents where all three of our kids are involved in extracurricular activities, but there's a problem. And we've looked forward to this, you know, we, look, we knew this was going to be a part of kids, and Renee and I both grew up playing sports and that, and that kind of thing, so we're looking forward to that. The problem is, is that all three of them are different ages, and all three of them are doing different things. And so some of you know what that means for your schedule, some of, the, that, some of you know what that means for your bank accounts, you know, everybody needs different equipment. As I was writing this message, uh, I looked over and I could see Nadia's volleyball shoes on the floor, and I could see Seth's baseball bag and cleats on the floor, you know, both not where they're supposed to be in the house. And, you know, our schedules, we have to go in three different directions, but you can't really do that because there are only two parents, you know, and, and so you know what it, what it means to kind of, if you've been in that situation before, uh, to, deal, to deal with that. But it's, I mean, if I'm being honest, it's a sacrifice that we have loved to make. I mean, we enjoy it. We know that the lessons that our kids are going to learn through extracurricular activities are going to be incredibly important for the rest of their lives. And so what it means to be a part of a team, what it means to win or lose graciously, what it means to work hard, any of those things that they're going to take with them, we know that it's going to leave an indelible impact as they move forward into their adult lives. I mean, I still remember what it was like developing as an well, athlete. I mean, some of you probably don't believe that about me, but at one point, one point, I could jump. Uh, and I can't, can't anymore, but that's okay. And I, and I know, I, I know what that's like, and I know how that's affected me now, what it means to work with other people, what it means to work hard, to pull your own weight, to be a good team player. And when my kids and when I go to a baseball game or go to a volleyball match, those experiences that we sacrifice for them to have will be a part of the lens through which they view the game and they view the world. In fact, this is the case in every area of our lives. Experiences and places become memorials based on how we sacrificed to be in those places and to have those experiences. Last year, the first place that Renee and I visited in New York City, I shared last week that we went there for our anniversary last year, was the 9-11 memorial. And I don't know if you've been there before. I've got a picture of one, one spot. Uh, that, that were there. Um, it not only was it impressive, but it was sobering, and I was not prepared for the emotional response that I would have being in that place. I mean, I, I still remember where I was when I heard about the events of that day 19 years ago, and, and I remember how I felt, and being in that place and seeing that memorial in person brought all of that back to me. And so all of those things that I experienced, all the things that I thought about um, at the unwilling sacrifice of so many people coupled with the willing sacrifice of so many first responders to help came back in that, sp in that space. And it's because memorials remind us of the meaning of the sacrifices that have been made. In the case of the World Trade Center's 9-11 memorial, the loss of precious innocent lives along with brave men and women who fought to save who they could ultimately serves as a reminder of the evil that exists in the world and the need for goodness to prevail. 
Side note, this is why memorials can become controversial and uh, hotly contested. It's because we don't always make sacrifices for the right reasons, and then we have to struggle through those things as a people. The challenge for us is keeping an accurate perspective of what is truly sacred in those moments. Last week, we opened our eyes a little bit more to the difference between our version of sacred and God's version of sacred. For example, in God's version, we looked at the Holy of Holies, where his presence uh, existed in the temple or the tabernacle. It was truly a sacred place, and if you didn't follow the commands about that place, then you would drop down dead. Uh, now, <clears throat> it's a little bit different. Uh, for example, not everything that we call sacred has the same consequence. We might say that this room is sacred and a sanctuary uh, because when we gather, God shows up here, uh, but this place is not sacred, and this room is not a sanctuary. What we learned last week is that God's sacred place and space is within our hearts and minds and our souls. Things and places can be special to be sure, and that's not wrong, but it's certainly not on the same level. We confuse ourselves, we confuse the kids if we don't know and teach and understand the difference. Uh, if people, for example, don't discern the difference between a physical copy of a Bible and the preciousness and sacredness of God's word, uh, then, then you have some uh, uh, mistaken ideas about what that means moving forward. For example, I know some people who have a copy of the Holy Bible, and it sits on their bookshelf, and it's kept precious and sacred. It's never touched. It's never opened. You know, because you don't want to wrinkle the pages, and you don't want to scuff the cover, and you don't, you know, so it's just got a thick layer of dust on that. And that, there's, there's a difference there in which we've mistaken the object for being sacred rather than God's actual word. And that perspective matters to us. If something is sacred to us, it means something else is sacrificed. And it's a tension that we navigate regularly, and it's a problem that God has the solution through the sacrifice that he makes sacred. So if you spend any time reading the Old Testament, it doesn't take you long to see that sacrifice is a regular theme in Scripture. It's a central ritual for God's chosen people and how God directed them to deal with what separated them in their relationship with him. So Leviticus 5, for example, starting in verse 5. When anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, and talking about sin in the previous verses, they must confess in what way they have sinned. As a penalty for the sin they have committed, they must bring to the Lord a female lamb or goat from the flock as a sin offering, and the priest shall make atonement for them for their sin. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. Now to be sure, a sacrificial system like that sounds strange to us. To some of us it may even sound unnecessarily violent. Uh, but that's mostly because we're insulated from reality in so many ways. Sacrifice deals with humanity old question of what to do about evil in the world. Evil breaks our relationships and it also breaks the world that we live in. Someone cheats us, you know, our problem isn't only the fact that they cheated us. Now, now we have to wonder about the environment that we live in and who the next person will cheat us as well. You know, we can look at our online shopping habits to see how that's impacted us. How many of you will shop on Craigslist? Anybody? No? Really? Okay. A few, a few people. All right. So some of my experiences in life keeps me a little wary of Craigslist 
And so I don't know, like, is this person trying to get one over on me or what, what's going to happen? So I stick a little bit more with Amazon. Some of you are like, man, I'm not ordering anything online because who knows what they're going to put in that box or if it's going to get here in time. So I'm only going to shop brick and mortar. You know, then we are affected by those things in our life. It's not just that one isolated incident when that evil happens to us. It affects everything else in the world. The sacrificial shedding of blood in the Old Testament confronted the reality of evil's sin's impact on the world. Of course, you know, we might ask, well, why not just do away with evil people? Have you ever thought that, that before? Uh, me regularly. I don't know. Is that okay to ad- admit that? You know, God, just, just get rid of the evil people, and then we wouldn't have such, such, such a major issue in this world. But the problem is, the problem is we're all evil. Like, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And so instead of God getting rid of humanity, or instead of God making us puppets without sharing real relationship, God introduces sacrifice as a substitutionary atonement for our sin. In other words, the animal took on the consequence of the death that we deserve. And as much as I like animals, you know, animals are not more valuable than human life. But this, this is also why animal sacrifice was only a temporary measure. The sacrifice was memorializing the consequences of sin, which is death, but it wasn't the ultimate solution. And the reason is that our sin isn't just an action problem, it's also a heart problem. This is why you find God saying through the prophets like Hosea in chapter 6, verse 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. And you can almost hear the objection. God, you're the one who told us to offer burnt offerings. You're the one who told us to sacrifice, and now you're not saying, now you're saying it's not good enough. And maybe you've had some of those thoughts before in your relationship with God. God, I'm, you know, I believe in you. God, I've done some of the things that you've asked me to do. I've made some sacrifices in my life to follow you. And yet the way I want things to be in my life isn't taking place. So, so is that really, really not good enough? And what God would say to us is that it's never been about our sacrifices, but it's always been about the grace he's willing to share with us while teaching us the consequences of our actions, how they affect our lives, how they affect the lives of those around us. If we were perfect, we'd have a bone to pick with God. We'd have an argument to make, but the significance and seriousness of the impact of our sin cannot be overstated. The end result should be death. Because when we sin, and we all have, we break ourselves, we break other people, and we break the world around us. And that we have life and the opportunity to repent and the opportunity to experience God's goodness is far and above more than what we could hope and ask for. It won't be until we're convinced of the weightiness of our sin that we see the truth of that and why God deserves our honor and praise in the face of his holiness. This is unfortunately also why it can be easy to be believers in Jesus in our minds and functional atheists in our hearts when we think, oh, God, I've checked off the list, you know, the boxes on the list that you've given me, and so that, that should be good enough. It's when there's a disconnect between the actions that we take in our hearts. For example, like attending church and thinking that we fulfilled something sacrificial for God because we showed up, but missing that the reason that we prioritize showing up isn't about us, it's about God and the relationship with him that we foster with others. 
I've never forgotten this quote that I heard in, the, in a mid-90s song uh, from a band called DC Talk. Some of you know who that is. Uh, the author of this quote is Brendan Manning. He said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Now, Christians certainly don't hold the corner on hypocrisy. That's something all of humanity shares in common. However, we should be more aware of ours based on us knowing the reason why sacrifice is necessary and why it's set apart by God to deal with our own evil. We know the cost of sin, uh, but we need more than just a regular reminder. We need God to make it so that sin is defeated once and for all, so that instead of just constantly staring us in our face or constantly directing and dictating how we approach life, we can be free to start seeing a world that isn't blinded by it anymore. And this was the ongoing problem for the nation of Israel all throughout the Old Testament and continues to be a problem today, but in the meantime, the solution that God provides is the ultimate sacrifice through Jesus. And here's how the writer of Hebrews describes it. Hebrews 9, verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they were outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set free from the sins committed under the first covenant. As a result, the sacrifices that we have in mind as followers of Jesus, not just believers, but followers, lead us from acts that lead to death to acts that lead to life. And they're very specific ways that we are called to memorialize these truths within our lives. The truth of Jesus' sacrifice and what that reminds us uh, of in, in our lives, in our relationship with God. And so the first is baptism. So when we say yes to God, we enter into his death, burial, and resurrection through this memorial act. This is, this is how we respond to our belief that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when that happens, Galatians 3, verses 26 through 27 say, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so that shedding of blood that Jesus uh, produced on the cross for us and the resurrection that took place, uh, so that he would be an ongoing sacrifice for us, so that we could be redeemed and reconciled to God. When God looks at us, he doesn't see our brokenness, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't see the evil that we've propagated in our past lives, and we're working uh, through his spirit to change in our current and future lives. He sees Jesus, because that blood has, has substituted the blood that we owe for the consequences of our sin. And so that's, that's, that's the first memorial that God gives us. The second is this, and we do this every week at Velocity, but don't, don't get up yet just yet. Some of you know what I'm talking about. We take communion together because when we take communion, it is a memorial. It reminds us of the significance of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, who is actually rebuking the Christians in Corinth for taking communion improperly, and you might wonder how in the world could you do that. I'll tell you in just a second. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so that's why we do this every week at Velocity, because that memorial is foundational to our understanding of who God is and who he calls us to be in this life and what our relationship means for how we approach ourselves and how we approach other people. Now, the problem that people in Corinth had and the reason that Paul is having to chastise them is because they thought, oh, you know, just because we take the bread and just because we take the juice, like we fulfilled that memorial. We've been reminded of what we need to be reminded of, and we're good. And what was happening in that church, because they took the Lord's Supper as part of an actual meal uh, that they shared, is that the people who were well-to-do had plenty to eat. Man, they were living it up and enjoying life, while others who were in need within that congregation were dying for lack of food. So you read the rest of the chapter, and you'll see, you'll see that, that in there. And so what they had missed is, okay, I'm, well, I'm, I'm taking part in this ritual, you know, this memorial sacrifice thing, and so I've, I've checked the box off, but I've missed, again, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've missed what God is trying to remind me of and teach me through this memorial. And so further on, in, in verse, as you keep reading in verse 27, Paul says, so then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so the significance of that is not like, not in a few minutes right before you physically take communion here on Sunday morning, but that examining of ourselves and the way that we're moving through life, the sacrifices that we're making, and, and what, what that looks like and how it's affecting our lives and the lives of people around us, those are things that we should be examining throughout the week, every day of our lives. And so that brings us to, uh, in my view, the third um, significant way in which God memorializes his sacrifice. The third is our lives. The, the way that we live as living sacrifices, Romans 12, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Conspicuously different, living sacrificially, away from the world, and in such a way that people don't even understand. It's strange the way that we even might think of Old Testament sacrificial systems, the, the way that we live our lives among each other and in relationship with other people. It is so foreign to other people's understanding because of the grace that God gives us that they can't help but wonder, where in the world is that coming from? That's the kind of response that, for example, our baptism or our taking communion and sharing in that time together is supposed to elicit in our lives. When, you know, in, in order to follow Jesus, we make a sacrifice, and that's sacrificing our sin, and, and making sure that that becomes the memorial that other people see that remind, us of, remind them of the goodness of God's grace in their lives. And so the question for us is, what are our sacrifices in our lives that we're making? Because we're all making them. What are they building mon monuments to? What, what, what are they memorializing? 
Because we're all making choices every day what we're going to sacrifice. Sometimes we sacrifice our dignity. That, that builds a memorial in our life. Wherever time we're in that type of situation, uh, we're confronted with uh, some, some sort of problem, it, you know, that that's going to remind us of that moment. There are tons of things for us to sacrifice. Uh, we sacrifice the need for self to the, be the foundation of our life. That's not just about us. Uh, if we exchange that for Jesus, we'll, we'll find freedom in a life that's unhindered by evil. So when we're confronted by it, and when it seems like the world is being overwhelmed by it and obsessed with it, we don't have to be because our lives are based on something else. In any consideration of faith, and everybody has faith, we have to decide what we're willing to give up in order to achieve our desired income. Yet instead, in contrast, Christianity calls us to consider what we gain by pursuing God's desired outcome. We struggle with things like sacrificing money and time and talents ourselves. And all along the way, our sin in those moments when we don't sacrifice the right thing, it separates us from God, it separates us from each other, it separates us from the world around us. But if you measure sacrifice but what everyone else should have to give up, it's just going to make you miserable and overwhelmed. But if you measure it by how God designs it, and the sacrifice that he calls us into to give up our sin, you'll release the consequences of the burdens you were never designed to bear on your own. And so as a result of that, when we think of Jesus, when we think of the sacrifice that God builds this relationship between us and him onto, what we get to do is look forward to Jesus' return so that we don't have to anymore deal with the consequence that we deserve as a result of the evil in the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 and 28. Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And so every week at Velocity, we take communion together. Uh, we memorialize Jesus' sacrifice because that's the one that's the one that matters. And so as we celebrate that this morning, I'm going to say a word of prayer. And after that, I'm going to invite you. There's three different tables uh, throughout the room. I'm going to invite you to get up and go to the one closest to you uh, and, and to grab a cup. There's two cups in there. On the bottom is a piece of bread. On the top is the juice, because if we switched them, that would get messy. And so we're going to invite you to share in that time and, and to remember the significance, the weightiness of our sin, the fact that Jesus does away with it, and what that frees us to experience in the life God calls us into uh, together today. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this moment where we can, uh, we can orient ourselves around a different narrative. Because the world around us is asking us to sacrifice a lot, constantly. God, you're, you're asking us to sacrifice one thing, and that's our sin. That we would give up the lack of control that we already have and, and give it to you so you can help us experience the life we were always meant to live. God, we praise you for this moment right now as we celebrate what Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would continue to remind us 
through this memorial, uh, through our relationships with other people. God, we ask that you would continue to remind us of the truth of your word and the significance of what Jesus has accomplished for us and for you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.